All right, well, the Detroit Tigers win a series against the Seattle Mariners coming out of the break. Let's talk about it all today on Locked on Tigers. You are Locked on Tigers, your daily Detroit Tigers podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Locked on Tigers. I'm, of course, your host, Scott Bentley. Today is Monday, July 17th, 2023. Thank you so much for making Locked on Tigers your first listen. Every single day, we are free and available wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team. Every day, this episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. A championship team is about each player being a perfect fit. And it's the same with your vehicle. So for parts that fit, head to eBay Motors and look for the green check. Stay in the game with eBay Guaranteed Fit. eBayMotors.com. Let's ride. eBay Guaranteed Fit is only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All righty. Well, the Detroit Tigers take two of three from the Seattle Mariners over the weekend. First series back from the All-Star break. And the boys look pretty good. It's kind of a sour note to end the weekend on, right, Seattle? Uh, on Sunday, I don't know why I said Seattle like we only played them on Sunday. Um, not my fault. But that Sunday game was was kind of a, a, a sour taste in the mouth of, I, I think, a lot of fans. Like, you – and I'm really – like, I, I'm really trying very hard to not be, like, the Debbie Downer of the fan base. Like, I really – I y'all have to realize. Like, I, I say it all the time. I will never tell anyone how to be a fan. Uh, if you want to be the most optimistic, we're making a playoff run. I don't care who you say fan in the world. Please be my guest, okay? If that makes you happy, that's what I support. I I, I really don't want to be like the, you know, whatever in my Cheerios. But I, like, we took two of three from the Seattle Mariners, a better baseball team than us. And we are still 10 games under 500 after winning a series against them. And we are six games out of first place in the division because the Twins have not lost yet coming out of the break. So it's just, it's one of those things where it's it's really difficult for me to believe. (laughs) I don't know. I, I guess that's the word for it. Like, it's just, it's really difficult for me to believe. Like, it really is. I, um... And this was a great weekend. We're going to talk about the games themselves and what made this so great and and whatnot. But and we'll talk about this a little bit more at the end as well. But if you really want to inject some some like I don't know, not good vibes, yes, obviously. But if you want to inject some optimism into this fan base, you need to absolutely not do what you did get, did against Oakland against the Royals. You need to treat the Royals like they are significantly worse team than you because they are. And I think that will give a lot of people on board, especially if the twins don't, you know, win like their first seven games out of the break, that would help as well. So we'll see, we'll see, but this was a good weekend. This was a a two thumbs up. Great weekend of ball. We'll take it again. Ending on a sour note Sunday offensively. uh, I, I thought that the team was really just as a whole, like, I don't think the approaches were terrible. Man, this Mariners rotation is so good. It's unbelievable how how talented 
and deep this Mariners rotation is. Like we're looking at a at a group, a legitimate five-headed monster here that in like two years could be I, I don't know. I, I don't think it's ridiculous to think that like we have the chance in like I said, two-ish years, maybe give or take a season on either end. Uh, looking at this Mariners rotation and thinking that it's one of the best rotations in recent memory. Like that's how young and talented it truly is. And so taking two of three is a good thing. Not, not going to be too terribly upset, you know, in the big picture grand scheme of things. Obviously you, you take Sunday just because our pitching did well and you consistently did have runners on base throughout the entire game. And you did have a chance to score runs several times and couldn't contribute. Like it was frustrating. It was a frustrating loss for sure. But uh, I don't know, like medium picture, I'll take a series, big picture. I'm still, uh, I don't know, cautiously optimistic, like at best about what this team can do from now to the trade deadline and small picture, frustrating game just on Sunday. But we'll take a series victory. Like I've said already a million times now, so we're going to move on. Um, let's talk about going into the weekend. AJ Hinch and Scott Harris both uh, got interviewed. I don't know if they were interviewed by 97 won the ticket or if that's just where an interview aired. Uh, but they did. I think they were interviewed by 97 won the ticket. Uh, regardless, on the radio, those two gentlemen uh, had some quotes. I think Harris was on the radio and Hinch might have been just like asked about it after. Uh, and so they were asked about the approach heading into the trade deadline, which we had literally just talked about at the end of last week. And that both of them kind of heavily hinted at like, you know, if we're in it, if we're in the thick of it and, and we're kind of in the division race at the deadline, it may change our strategy. And I obviously had just said pretty much the opposite of that at the end of last week. Um, And, you know, I had some people that were like, hey, like, is this, does this surprise you? You know, like, given what you literally just said, like, is this shocking? Um, I, I don't know if I'd call it a surprise. I'd more just say, like, general managers lie. And I know that technically... Harris is our president of ops, but I don't believe it, I I guess is my take. And I would love to root for a winning baseball team more than anything. I would love to root for a winning baseball team. Okay, so if they go out there and they do take it to the Royals and they do and the Twins do continue to like kind of just be around a 500 baseball team and the Guardians never do figure it out. And the Tigers just go on an absolute heater from now until the deadline and put themselves within a couple of games of first. I will be the first to be like at the front lines of the hype train. Okay. But as it stands right now on July 16th, when I'm recording this, July 17th, as you're listening to this, I'm still dragging my feet in the mud. I I, I still am. I guess I am Debbie Downer. And like, again, I don't want to be, but like, I I just, I find it, that's a really, really exact scenario that needs to happen. And again, to our our point at the beginning of the show, like with how inconsistent this team has been this season, really good against good pitchers, really bad against good pitchers, really good against bad pitchers, really bad against bad pitchers. It would take a lot of consistently winning from now until the deadline. 
So we'll see. But that I just wanted to address that to start off the show because a lot of people had asked me about it given what I had just said at the end of last week. But it is exciting regardless of my opinion. Oh, it's, it's not all about me. Just re- regardless of whatever I have to think about it, it's exciting to hear like, hey, if they're in it, let, let's let them try to be in it. We haven't said that in ages. That hasn't been a thing since I, I don't even know what, 2016? was the last time that mindset was actually implemented this late into the season. So I'm pumped. I'm very, very excited to hear that if we were to win, that would be exciting. But I'm very much, uh, uh, you know, have to see it to believe it as far as that goes. Okay, let's get into the actual games. We've spent enough time talking about comments made and, you know, the overall outlook of what these three games mean and whatnot. Let's get into the actual games themselves. All right. But first, I got to tell y'all about our friends over at Sleeper. Sleeper is really the best. And if you want the chance to win more money with less picks, you can head to Sleeper where you can win up to 100 times your money in just two or more fantasy baseball picks. It's super fun. It's a daily fantasy thing. I've been using Sleeper as my, for really all fantasy purposes, my fantasy leagues. Now they're drifting over into the daily fantasy side of things. And it's really cool. You can... Uh, They have like a more or less type of game that you can play where, you know, do I think that uh, Shohei Otani is going to hit more than one home run in this game? Or is he going to, you know, if he's a pitcher, is he going to have more or less strikeouts than a certain number in this game? It's, It's really entertaining. And you can look every single day. There are a ton of, that's the great thing about baseball, right? There are so many fun matchups you can do that with day in and day at day out. And if you want to win 100 times your money on daily fantasy baseball, Sleeper is now offering that. A 100 times payout for up to eight pick contests. Use promo code LOCKDOWNMLB and you'll get up to a $100 dollar match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. Currently operational in over 30 states. Check out Sleeper today. All right, everybody. Welcome back. Segment two here, Locked On Tigers. I appreciate y'all for tuning in and making us your first listen every single day. A shout out to the everydayers that do tune in every day. We'll be back tomorrow recapping game one of the Kansas City Royals series. We'll talk about that and more big picture stuff a little bit at the end. Um, So let's talk about the games themselves. So Nick Maton, before the weekend starts, uh, is recalled. We had mentioned on Friday's episode that... Uh, there was an empty roster spot and it was just throughout the entire all-star break was just left open. And we were kind of, you know, I, I hinted at maybe it would have been Trey Winginter just because uh, he was already in Toledo. So I thought like, Oh, you know, they're going to option him there, but then they'll just recall him back. But that would have been a very crowded bullpen and your rotation is finally knock on wood, somewhat healthy at the moment. So it made sense that it was going to be a bat and, it would have been a crowded outfield if they would have gone to uh, to, to someone like Parker Meadows, right? You would have had, whatever, four or five outfielders again. So that wasn't necessarily needed if they still don't think he's ready, you know, no matter on on what my or, or your opinion is of that, uh, that. That objectively would have been a crowded outfield with a lot of lefties as well. And now, it, it yeah, it, the writing was kind of on the wall for it to be Maton. Now, what did he, he played like 11 games in AAA? Uh, I, man, I really just sound like a pessimist and I'm really not trying to be, 
But I, I I need to also be proven that like eleven games in AAA. You spent eleven games in AAA, and you can hit major league breaking balls now. Like I, I don't know. I will say though, obviously the home run to rub it in my face after I tweeted out like, yeah, you know, his minor league stint wasn't the most impressive thing in the world to me from what I'd seen. And immediately he hits a home run. Not only does he hit a homer, he hits his off of a slider, which is something that obviously he struggled with mightily uh, before getting sent down. So good for him. I love Nick Maton. I I think he's a fantastic personality. I think he's a great dude to have in this clubhouse when he's really firing on all cylinders. Uh, But we need to see him fire on all cylinders. So uh, not again, not to like keep being the the, the Debbie downer of everything, but yeah, I very much need to to just see him hit major league off speed and breaking balls. That's really what it's always come down to and what it will continue to come down to. Now in his first game back, you immediately saw a different batting stance. And I tweeted something about that out pretty early on in his I keep wanting to call it a rehab stint, but it obviously wasn't that. In his uh, Toledo stint tenure, whatever, (laughs) my brain is very slow today. Um, And so he got rid of the big leg kick, but he got rid of that a little bit before he had been sent down. Now it's that as well as slightly different hand placement, right? When you see him load, it's it's a little bit lower so that it's, it's not as much movement. It's just more straight to the ball. And I will very openly admit that immediately I thought his swing looked a million times better. Now, whether that actually equates to him being able to see and make contact with major league breaking balls, time will only tell, right? That That's truly something that we can't predict. And no amount of him hitting well or poorly in AAA is going to tell us whether he's going to ever be able to square up major league breaking balls. So, We'll see. We'll continue monitoring it. But very, very admittedly, the swing I thought looked way better. It was just a a bat to ball. I thought the distance was cut down significantly. I thought it was a much quicker, not that his like bat speed magically got way quicker because like that's obviously not the case, but uh, it was just much quicker hands to ball, right? Hands straight to ball. And and I, I appreciate the change. I appreciate the effort greatly. And We'll see if it ends up working for him. I hope that it does because I, I think he can be really valuable. And like he walks so much, and all even before he got sent down, I you know people used to give me heat for it, but like even his at bats where he's striking out on you know breaking balls, he is working the count so much. Like if he's even a halfway decent off speed and breaking balls hitter, he is going to be really really effective with how amazing like all of his at bats are in terms of like how many pitches are, are thrown to him. He always works counts. And I've, I've always really liked and appreciated that. And he has one of the highest walk rates in baseball is still like 95th or better percentile and walk rate in the game of baseball. So we'll keep an eye on that. Kerry Carpenter had a fantastic weekend, obviously as the two home run game as well. Nice to see him play every game for starters throughout the entire weekend. Uh, not that he faced a ton of lefties, but just nice to see him consistently out there. His OPS by the end of the weekend was 863 and he has a 274 average. And the thing is like, it's not just one zone that he crushes, right? Like even within the two home run game, it was multiple areas and like, like multiple areas, not even in the strike zone. You know how wild that is? He had a two home run game. Neither of the pitches that he hit home runs on were strikes. One 
was a changeup low and under the strike zone. Would have been a ball if he took it. And the other was a fastball at his eyes. Turned on both of them and cranked him to right field. Like he, well, and he had the opposite field one too. Maybe I'm thinking of the first homer because he had three home runs in two games. Maybe I'm thinking of the, the changeup low, I think was to Castillo. So I think that would have been Friday. But the the opposite field home run was a ball low as well. Like he he's really just seeing the ball incredibly well. His swing, his bat path is what makes him so good. You know, people ask, all the time, what makes certain players good, what makes them effective, what makes certain players better than other players at certain areas of the game. Kerry Carpenter's is pr- not strictly because, like, he's, I mean, he, he's an athlete and a built dude, obviously, and that helps and pitch recognition and all that and the mental side of the game and whatnot. So it's not strictly that, but his bat path is an automatic barrel. It's at the perfect, repeatable, consistent launch angle. And it's just like, it's, it's just, it's so simple. It's just start low and then kind of like you're swinging a sword, just like swing it up in a complete straight line at, at the perfect launch angle every single time. And that's what makes him so good. I'm so glad that he's on this baseball team and he still really struggles in the outfield. We saw a couple of not great plays from him in the outfield, but uh, I mean, all things considered, this team needs offense more than anything. And he provides that in a big way. And I'm glad that he's going to be here for the foreseeable future. Um, starting pitching over the weekend was fantastic. Fantastic starting pitching. Let's start. Let's work our way backwards. Let's start with Reese Olsen. I don't have too much to say in regards to the Reese Olsen start. Um, it was solid, obviously. He ends up going... Five and a third, six hits, two earned runs, no walks, five strikeouts with the home run against, obviously. His ERA in the year is now sub four. Um, it's miraculous how good this pitching coaching staff is at their jobs. And I say that all the time, and I don't care. Like, I'm going to keep saying it. Fetter, Nieves, Lund, they are brilliant. They are so, so, so brilliant. And... It's like Reese Olsen had a walk problem. Like he he had he had a, at one point he was allowing a lot of base runners. Not maybe not walks strictly, but like he was allowing base runners, whether it was hits or walks, on a start to start basis. And he gets to the majors, and it it hasn't really been an issue. He hasn't really had a, a an outing where his command has just completely gone away from him, and he's walked a million hitters. Um, the swing and miss stuff is obviously there within the slider. The next big step in development is going to be, can he make his fastball an effective major league pitch? And if he can do that, this guy has starter potential. If he doesn't, then he's going to be a really effective reliever with how nasty that breaking pitch is. Either way, for half a year of Daniel Norris, the Tigers got objectively someone that will be on a major league ball club for the foreseeable future. Just depends on the role. And that's awesome. And this is a, a development win. This is a Reese Olsen win, just for him personally. And, and this continues to be a Fetter Nieves and Lund win. Uh, I, I thought he looked really, really, really solid. Uh, just the fastball got hit a little bit sometimes. But consistently pounding the zone, I'll gladly take <laughs> this outing. Very much so. Uh, just need to, I don't, it's weird because like the, the fastballs, it looks good. It's like mid-90s. It has a tailing movement on it. 
he just can't get swings and misses on it. And that's so perplexing to me. So we'll see how they continue to develop with that. I'm sure this off season, once we get to the winter, he will have, uh, you know, programs and stuff to work in that regard as well. But I'm, I, I'm so fascinated by watching him pitch just because his stuff is so, so nasty. And he has the potential to be really, really good at the major league level. Um, let's keep the ball rolling. We got a couple of other starting pitchers to get to. We will talk about them right after this. All right, everybody. Welcome back here. Third and final segment here of Locked on Tigers. Let's talk about uh, Michael Lorenzen and Eduardo Rodriguez. Michael Lorenzen was phenomenal on Saturday. And for all of those people who were clowning on Michael Lorenzen for making the All-Star game, when he got voted in, he had like a 4-2 or a 4-3 ERA. It's now a 3-7-5. And while that's still not, you know, like some miraculous Cy Young vote getting ERA, like a 3-7-5 is a pretty good season, man. Six and two-thirds, two hits, no earned runs, five walks, and seven strikeouts. He was just living and dying by the slider low and away. That's really what this entire outing was. Like, he was just like, you know what? I'm going to throw this thing low and away to every single righty. And if they spin on it, good for them. They can take their walk to first base. If they don't, they're hacking, and I'm getting a strikeout. That was just the game plan through and through. And it worked for him. And I really want him to get seven just because I thought that he deserved it. But, uh, well, I mean, no way you can be upset with that outing. Six and two-thirds of shutout ball and seven strikeouts. Um, yeah, just consistently, you know, finding the strike zone, obviously. He got his fastball command at one point, I think, wavered a little bit. But as a whole, I was uh, I was pretty pleased with, with Michael Lorenzen's outing. Bo Brisky, I want to talk about him as well. Uh, one and one third, one hit, no earned runs, no walks, three strikeouts. So we haven't seen Brisky since he got recalled. Like he's just been in the bullpen, just like chilling. And I know the all-star break didn't help that either, but um, this was like the first outing we saw of him out of the bullpen. Disgusting. Okay. Absolutely disgusting. Bo Brisky has been a fascinating player. A friend of the program, by the way, interviewed him probably like a year and a half ago. Now time flies. Um, but when he was a starter, you know, he made a huge step forward in the minor leagues, was kind of a, a no-name prospect, then took uh, was the Tigers minor league pitcher of the year in 2021, and took those big strides. And last year was productive, wasn't super effective, but like gave major league innings, right, to a team that, again, like a year beforehand, nobody thought he was going to be in the majors. Um, so just continues to prove people wrong. And obviously the injury kind of hurt him this year. He hasn't pitched all season. But in Toledo, he's been strictly a reliever. The velocity is up. The stuff is nasty. And, and if he's not going to stick long-term as a major league starter, he absolutely has the stuff and the pitch mix, the pitch no pitch mix, the repertoire to be a really effective major league reliever. Like, I mean, the fastball was touching 96, 97. And you know that I love my my tunneling low fastball changeup combo, right? Just very simple. The Tigers are awful against it. Um, but it, it, it's very simple and very effective. And he has such a good changeup that I am very excited about the future of Bo Brisky in the bullpen if that's what they decide to do long term. Then Brennan White uh, finished Saturday's game as well. He's so nasty. that He has one of the most disgusting sliders I've seen of a Tigers pitcher in quite some time. Um, it's just about getting the, the, the command a, uh, but B just 
mixing his pitches in a way that can consistently get his fastball swings and misses as well. Cause that's another thing he gets some swing. He gets swings and misses up in the zone with his fastball, but everywhere else he has a hard time. So we'll see how that develops as well. And then Friday we had Eduardo Rodriguez. Um, yeah. I mean, not the most effective outing in the world. And he still went five innings, three hits, two earned runs, two walks, seven strikeouts, two seven ERA on the season. Uh, I, I think that, this was a fine second start back. Like, it, I mean, it didn't blow anybody away. It had a lot of hard contact, a lot of loud outs, a lot of warning track fly outs in this game for Erod. Uh, but seven strikeouts in five innings still. Uh, the two walks, uh, that's an even a high number for him. Like, no matter what he's doing, earn run average-wise, like, he never really walks people. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty pleased with this. It, this was just a – in his first outing, he made a lot of mistakes – to a bad team, and they crushed him. In this outing, he made fewer mistakes, but the mistakes, rather than being right down the heart of the plate, there still were plenty. Again, a lot of loud outs. Um, He was missing just kind of like everywhere, but then he still had seven strikeouts, and a lot of them were called strikes. And when he's really just like pinpointing, he is, I mean, we've seen it, right? He's just genuinely one of the best pitchers in the American League when his command is on. And in this game, less mistakes than the previous one and was still showing that he has the pinpoint ability. And so I'm looking forward to his next start, taking another step forward and really just proving to the Tigers or any other GM that might be interested that, hey, you know, just needed a couple of starts back under my belt. We're, we're fine and dandy. Um, the, next up, I want to talk a little bit about the bullpen uh, on – I guess Friday's game, but just as a whole, we already talked about some other relievers, Jason Foley and Alex Lang this weekend, both had some interesting storylines, didn't they? Um, Mason Englert, I thought was good on Sunday. I'm trying to just get through everybody. If I can bullpen wise, uh, Shreve was fine. Yeah. So Tyler Holton for starters continues to just be one of the best relievers in the American league. One and one third, no hits, no runs, no walks, two Ks, a one eight four ERA. He is legitimately like borderline unhittable against lefties at the moment. Like they do nothing against him. And his numbers against righties aren't like jaw dropping. They're, they're like pretty middle of the road, maybe slightly better than middle of the road. But his his he is dominant against lefties, and, and Hinch just continues to put him in situations where he's just gonna he's gonna face a lot of lefties in a row in the lineup. And he's good enough against righties as well to just be this force out of the pen. So very, very happy to see Tyler Holton continue to do well. But Foley and Lang, Jason Foley goes uh, two-thirds of an inning, two hits, one earned run, no walks, two Ks. His ERA on the year is now 2-2-9. And he had some choice words for the umpire. I just just wanted to say that I love you, Jason Foley. I, I really do, man. What a what a dog. What an absolute dog. Doesn't need strikeouts to be one of the best relievers in baseball. Can go three games in a row. Bowling ball sinker. Not the, none of this swing and miss. You know, you need whiffs to be a dominant pitcher crap. I'm just going to go out there, get my three ground balls every outing. He actually had, I guess, both of his <laughs> outs in this game were, were strikeouts, but... What an absolute dog. And then he's going to go yell at the umpire for getting a call wrong 
even though he still just got out of the inning a couple of pitches later. I love him. I love the ejection. Fire me up, Jason Foley. His 15th hold on the year. And then Alex Lang, one inning, one hit, one earned run, two walks, one strikeout. Obviously, the hit and the run was a home run. Homer in two walks is brutal, man. He has really just – it hasn't been clicking for the last, like, month and a half now. And I think some people are genuinely starting to be like, hey, maybe Foley should be the closer. Um, maybe get him a, away from kind of the, the lower and lower leverage situations. Um, can't say I disagree. Everybody knows how big of a fan of Jason Foley I am. Um, but, you know, when it comes to Lang – I don't even want to go down like the trade rabbit hole again because so many people are just like, oh, you should have traded them in May. And that's like not how it works. Um, but I, I mean, certainly, I mean, objectively, this is like a month and a half of just not being able to consistently find the strike zone. A lot of people are clamoring for him to throw the fastball more. Um, and, you know, can't say I disagree with that. I, my uh, opinion of it is, you know, Fetter is a very simple throw your best pitch type of pitching coach and I think that's one of the reasons that I love him and that makes him so effective and Lang's best pitch is objectively the curveball uh that being said I think it's gotten to a point where it's so nasty but it's never a strike it's always at the shins or it's hung you know at the letters and then in that case it's hit for a home run like it was on on Friday but it's never consistently a strike it's the best pitch because it's one of the fastest curveballs like ever. <laughs> and it's a whiff machine because of that. But if you can't keep people honest with a strike every once in a while, people are just going to read curveball. And if it's not at the, at, at, you know, the belly button, if it's not hung, then they're just going to spit on it and just go, I'll take my chances. This is probably not a low strike at my knees. And I think that's what a lot of people have started to do. And, and even dating back to May when he was dominating, we were saying all the time, like, oh, he's still not really finding the zone all that much, but, like, he's so nasty, people are swinging through it. And I think that's now just catching up to him. I think the scouting report's out. Hey, just take a boatload of pitches, and eventually he'll have to throw a strike, and if he never does, he's just going to keep walking people. So an adjustment clearly needs to be made, and I think you know, he has a 96-mile-an-hour two-seam fastball that moves a ton, sinker, two-seam, whatever you want to call it. Just needs any pitch that he can consistently throw for a strike. He doesn't even really need to be the curveball. If you want that to be your low in the zone, you know, whiff pitch, go for it. You just need a pitch that can keep people honest and be like, all right, it might be the fill in the blank for a strike though. So I have to be ready and actually be ready to swing the bat. And right now I think people are just going up there with the bat on their shoulder until something's hung. Last piece of business is Javi Baez. Obviously a dreadful game on Sunday. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to stand in the way of everybody's anger to Javi. Um, it, it's, I I guess I just have a really hard time for me. And this is just how I'm wired as a person. So this, I'm not saying this is right or wrong. Um, I, it's just, it's really hard for me to get like red in the face, angry every single day about someone who's going to be here for the next four years. Right. And I leave a little bit of a pause there for like dramatic effect because I really want you to, you know, go up to the door, turn the doorknob, let that porcelain sink in. Like he is going to be here for the next four years. 
no matter how angry you get at him, does not matter. He will be here for the next four years because no one's trading for him. And ownership is not buying him out. He's going to be here. He's been one of the best defensive shortstops in baseball. I say that just to say that at least he, I don't know. I guess I probably shouldn't because he had really a hard time throwing the baseball. And, you know, the that's the frustrating thing with stats like outs above average and um, defensive runs saved and whatnot is they don't really take into account, like, ex- an extreme amount of throwing errors. Like, he has some of the best range in baseball, and he gets to a lot of balls, and he gives uh, uh, he gives the team a chance to make a play, a chance to make a play on a lot of balls that a lot of people couldn't even dream of getting to, right? We saw the Colorado play and whatnot. And so in that regard, he has, I mean, objectively, he's in like the 99th percentile and outs above average. But there's still a lot of, of throwing errors. There's still a lot of, of uh, you know, erratic throws. And at this point, I mean, there's just no way that's worth the offense. His stats on the year, he is now a 222 average with a 582 OPS. Let's pull up his baseball savant page. Because the one thing we talked about it over the All-Star break, the one thing about Javi is that going into his Tigers tenure, he like he always did this. He always swung at a boatload of pitches. He always swung at pitches a mile out of the strike zone. But he would barrel up a lot of baseballs. Now, he looks like a fool at the plate half the time, and he's in the ninth percentile in expected slugging percentage the ninth percentile in barrel percentage. And like, is that worth him not striking out as much? Like he, he objectively doesn't strike out as like that often, like relatively speaking, he's in the 45th percentile in K rate. Like, I'm, you know, that's like middle of the pack. That's like, you know, about as much as almost the mean, the median rather. (laughs) So like he's close to, but he's still, I mean, two, second percentile in walk rate, first percentile in K rate, ninth in barrel rate. Like, it's just, it's none of it's good. And so I'd almost rather he just swing for the fences every time at this point. I, like, I know that that sounds, that sounds somewhat ridiculous, but this like, oh, I'm not going to strike out as much approach, I don't care for. I don't care, dude. I'd I'd literally rather you struck out more if it meant you found a barrel once a week. Once a week. (laughs) Once every 50 at-bats, if you found a barrel, I I would take that. How many total barrels does he have on the season? Oh, single digits? Cool. It's, you know, the second half. He has found nine barrels on the season. That's a 3.4% barrel rate. In his career, he has a 9.5%. Back in the MVP vote-getting years, it would creep up to 13%. 2021, awesome. The year before, he was a Tiger at a 13.4% better rate, the higher, highest of his career. I guess I can find a way to get mad about him now. I guess I just lied to myself. It's frustrating. 
very frustrating. I I, I would rather you his K rate's twenty two point six percent. MLB average is twenty two point one percent. Like literally, he he's he's about middle of the pack when it comes to K rate. I would significantly rather he went back to striking out thirty three point six percent of the time, which is bottom three percent in baseball, which he did multiple times in his career. I would rather he goes back to striking out one every three at bats if it meant he went back to having a nine and a half percent barrel rate. It would hit home runs sometimes, but he doesn't. The only pitch he's capable of hitting hard at the moment are sliders low and in because they're mistakes and they're not supposed to be there. They're trying to throw him low and outside and they let go too early. Very frustrating. And again, clearly I lied to myself. Clearly I can't get mad about it. But it's four more years. So I can complain about it. We can all complain about it. We can all get mad. But he's opting in. He's not walking away from that much money. And no team's trading for him. And ownership isn't buying him out. So we're going to have to figure out something to do. Royals preview. This is a long episode. I actually, for like, the first 20 minutes of this episode, I was like, dang, I'm making really good time. Like, I'm actually making good time. I feel pretty good about myself. Not going to be a 40-minute episode. Bam. It's impossible for me. Uh, Royals preview. The only thing I have to say, really, about this is the Royals are really not a good Major League Baseball team. If you want to take a look at the standings here. So, the Oakland Athletics are obviously the worst team in baseball. 25-70. and 70. They have 70 losses on July 16th. That's nuts. Um so 25 wins for the Oakland A's at the time of this recording. The Kansas City Royals are the only team within the same stratosphere as the Oakland A's. They're only two wins better, two and a half games, two wins better. They have 27 wins. To give you really an idea of how much worse those two teams are than the rest of baseball, the Rockies have the next worst record in the league, and they have 36 wins. They have almost... 10 more wins than the Royals. And they're the third worst team in baseball. And then after that, there's the Nationals have 37. And then you get into the 40s. No one else even has a, a win total under 40 besides those four teams. So my point being, this, I know you lost two of three to Oakland. If you want, people to get on board. If you want to really inject some optimism into this fan base, if you want people like myself to really second guess and look in the mirror and second guess our opinions on what we're doing at the deadline, if you want to give Scott Harris an incredibly tough decision to make on July 31st, it starts with beating the crap out of the Kansas City Royals. Because you are significantly better than them. Not, oh, we lost three and then, oh, we put up 15 in game four. So we're going to try to make people forget about it. Like we did against Oakland. Not splitting. Not going up 2-0 and then walking out of there with a split. Not going down 0-2 and then, oh, well, we ended with a split. So, like, you can't be that mad, Scott. Go absolutely take it to the Kansas City Royals because you are much better than them. And they are almost as bad as a team that is literally trying to have the worst record of all time. 
go do what you're supposed to do and cut the inconsistency for four games. We've said it a lot this year. If the games against the easy teams on your schedule feel the exact same as the games against the good teams on your schedule, then maybe you just aren't a very good team. Go make this series feel different. Thanks for making Locked On Tigers your first listen every single day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube. Shout out to the everydayers that do tune in every day. We'll be back tomorrow recapping game one against the Kansas City Royals. Uh, pitching matchup, Jordan Lyles, 1-11 with a 6-4-2 ERA against Matt Manning. 3-1 with a 3-7-2. Obviously, his last time out there wasn't bad. Okay? Let's see what happens. Peace and love. Going to Therapy's Dope. I'll catch you all then, baby. Go Tigers.